clubhouse. Welcome back to a galaxy far, far away. This is the How Uncivilized podcast. This is your host, Paul, joined once again with his friend, Mark. Just go with it, Paul. Yeah. Yep. We will just power through. Power through, Paul. We're here to talk about the fourth episode of the first season of Andor. This one is called Aldani. A lot of people thought that this was a boring episode. What did you think, Mark? What? That's crazy. I was soaking up all the world building. That's why we were, me and you were both had this texting going, yeah, man, so much world building. It's like, because it was, you saw that three episode arc ended yeah. and we were talking about they hired, what is it, four directors to do three episodes each. And this was like a brand new show now. Felt the same in terms of like, you know, the world, but yeah, the, the pace, the, what we were trying to do, it did feel a lot different now that you mention it. Like you said, it really did connect well to the first three episodes and it was, it's continuing the story, but it was like, we got this total new plot. We got to go to Coruscant. Yes. So cool. I asked you last episode, would we meet Mon Mothma? Uh, when would we meet Mon Mothma? And you said episode four. Well, we go to Coruscant for a couple of tasks and one of them was to meet Mon Mothma. Ah, it was so cool. She was freaked out. Like, you know, she was like scared. She's so stoic and kind of bad A. I just love that. All the spies everywhere and... Oh man. Yeah. I like this episode. I liked, uh, I really like this Luthan character. I love how he was acting on the ship Oh yeah. when he was like trying to practice when he put his wig on, Get he's like, Oh, and he's throwing yeah. his arms around, you know, that was so funny. And as soon as he stopped practicing, he's back to like resting B face, if you will. <laughs> he is, he is a hard ass really. And he has to pretend to be this other guy. As much as I could tell, he's probably like a, a dealer, like of antiquities. Like he doesn't run like a museum or like an art gallery, they look like they are various artifacts that he has for sale. Did you notice that he had a partial suit of Mandalorian armor in there? I did. I didn't do much like Googling and like looking what other people were talking about, but I did see people were plucking out all the various artifacts that could tie back to, or people were speculating what they were. Yeah, yeah. it was very cool. Good way to work in some lore. And I guess that was his cover story. That is. And that does give you some background about how he might be able to afford what he affords, like his ship. I don't know what ship it is. I am pretty sure it's a Corellian make, you know, the same shipyard that makes the Millennium Falcon and other Corellian ships. They have that kind of that clamshell sort of like top and bottom with like the, the gribbly bits in between and that that sort of tapered dome cockpit that the Millennium Falcon has off set off on one side. This has more centered, but the interior looked the same except clean. I was confused because he like punched it into jump space to use Boba Fett terminology. And it seems like Andor was like, whoa, how did you, how is this ship powered? Like, how did you do that? Then he had kyber crystals. And I was wondering if, is there some sort of secret way to go to hyperspace with kyber crystals that he hit, that the rebels had that gave them an advantage or something like that? Or did Good you get question. any of that? No, yeah. I did not. What's powering this? I had to watch it twice to prepare for this podcast. And for that section, when Andor asked Luthen about what is this, what powers this ship after jumping to light speed, I couldn't tell what he meant. Maybe it's either the, you know, the outside swirling part that that's mm -hmm. maybe that looks differently depending on how you get to light speed. 
Yeah, I assume there's some some technology that Andor had never seen that that he had. Star Wars doesn't usually get too hung up on that aspect of the of the universe. You know, it's like ships go to light speed. You know, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. that's about as much as they ever give us about that. Um, but it is a question mark because they bothered to put it into the script. So that's a good call. With the Kyber crystal, I had two question marks on that. Is it meant to tell us something about Luthen's own history? You know, that that would be some meaningful relic of his past? Because, you know, he's a, he's an antiquities dealer, so he comes across old things. But this is his thing that he wants back, that he holds dear. Take this. What is it? It's a down payment. It's a Kwati signet. Lou Kyber, Skystone, the ancient world. Celebrates the uprising against the Rakatan invaders. So is it something gained over his adventures, or maybe also, since it's a kyber crystal, and kyber crystals are what makes lightsabers work, is it an indicator as to his religious leanings? That, or maybe he knows a Jedi. You know, maybe he's got some connection. Maybe he's got a wife or something that was, you know, maybe there's some connection there they could tease us with. Because I know, you know, this show's... We don't plan on seeing any any of that in the show. Yeah. But maybe they'll give us something like that. Because, yeah, you're right. I didn't really think of that, that maybe it could be connected to, what is it, the wills, the, the yes. kind of religion, if you will, or right. or his a connection to a AJ Day. Well, one of the things that Rogue One brought us that we hadn't seen elsewhere, except for Tarkin using the term religion in A New Hope, talking about Jedi, but... In that context, we took it to understand Jedi were Jedi, and that was it. But what Rogue One showed us were that there were people with, you know, normal midichlorian counts that also sort of adhered to a Jedi or Force-worshipping religion. I think, what did they call them? The protectors of the wills or... Right. Something something that Yeah, and I think George had that concept... And I think he wanted to do something like that in the sequel trilogy where it would have been like these, I don't know, symbiotic single-celled organisms that, you know, the midi-chlorians, if you will. Yeah. Maybe go into some sort of CGI animated Pixar world where these things are swimming around. I don't know what that would have been, but I was always curious what George would have done with that. But Me too. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Because he only ever described it publicly with a couple of sentences that made it sound wildly different than anything we'd seen before. Perhaps a relic of that idea in the sequels is Lor Santeca, the guy played by Max von Sydow, mm-hmm. in who gets killed quickly in, in The Force Awakens. He is kind of the modern take on the Force religious type. Right. That's expanded upon in the novels. He is a follower of that religion to whatever extent you can be without being able to wield the Force. Yeah, it seems like he was kind of friends of the family, if you will. Yes, Right, exactly. And so perhaps Luthen is in that fold. I don't know. I don't have any proof of that. I'm just, you know, kyber crystals are have a certain association, but they may have a whole other meaning for him. This is a long shot, but it'd be really cool because Order 66 was about 14 years before 5 BBY. Sounds right. Sounds about right. It's like 19 years total. So maybe, you know, Order 66 happened and he cared. And that's what his motivation to fight the Empire came out of that, because he's clearly super motivated. I liked how, another thing I liked about his character is how we got to see, because, you know, the episode three, it's like, OK, he's a recruiter. He's trying to recruit Andor. But then to see him essentially selling him kind of like he sells his wares. But tell them it was always a part of the plan. 
Are you giving me a choice here? Yeah. You take him, we'll call it off. I was planning to shut you down. Your odds have improved since we set the meeting. We'll take him in and lie about how it's come to pass. You plug him in as a replacement for anyone who goes down along the way. In the next three days, if for any reason- Look at me! You wanted to lead! This is what he comes to! He's trying to sell Andor to stick him in this squad for this mission. Desperately trying to get this mission to go through because he, he was manipulating him. These good guys are not like they're a little rough around the edges, which I like. It's uh, it's really interesting. They're like desperate. They know that what they're doing is can easily get them killed any any second. When you say rough around the edges, these guys like like Vel, the, the leader of that cell mentions they've been kind of eking out a an existence eating sounds like worms and grubs or whatever else they could come across as they try to lay low, keeping an eye on the garrison, getting a, an idea of their patterns, establishing a relationship with that Lieutenant Gorn, etc., etc. And this is all for money. You know, even though Luthen makes a, a, a decent living for himself and can afford a nice ship, that doesn't mean he can finance the whole Rebel Alliance. I need to start planning if you're no longer coming through for us. The money's there. It's just getting very dangerous to move it around. I can't pull funds the way I used to. And similarly, Mon Mothma says the same thing. They have to knock off this payroll, Old West style. And I'm sure that's to finance ships and guys and guns and whatever else you need to overthrow the Empire. It's exciting stuff. And I don't know why people thought it was boring exactly. Because this is how TV works. Not every episode is lightsabers and gunfights. Sometimes you got to establish, like in this one, lots of new characters. I was thoroughly entertained. I guess if you don't have the patience for that and you just want blaster fights, then you wouldn't like this episode very much. But yeah, back to Mon Mothma. She needs to like Star Wars equivalent of Bitcoin or something like that to help the rebels. But... <laughs> <laughs> right, some sort of non-centralized currency system. Yeah, she need they need some way, but then they're going after the payroll, the quarterly payroll. I thought that was cool. It's smart. It's good writing because everyone's like, you say payroll, everyone knows what that means, you know, even mm -hmm. though, you know, the way it works in the Star Wars universe is probably different, but that's good writing. But what did you think when uh, Mon Mothma brought up this idea of bringing someone into the circle? Who the heck is she talking about? Do you have any idea? Oh, man, that question is on my list to bring up with you because... Oh, so I preempted you. I just, I couldn't wait any longer, Paul. Yeah, well, it's a great question because the circle is not that big. It's hard to know if that cutscene that we mentioned from Revenge of the Sith counts as canon because, you know, a lot of us have seen it, but it didn't make it into the movie. Right. So... Is she possibly talking about Bail Organa at this point? I don't think so. Because that was my first thought, too. Me, too. But then I was thinking, well, Kenobi took place five years before this point. I think he's active at that point. And that's right, because he was in the cutscene with Padme and Mon Mothma. Was there anybody else there? I haven't watched that in a while. I think George Lucas's daughters were in that scene. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be crazy what if they brought back one of george's daughters in there we'd be like oh yeah that's it is crazy I, i've recently been kind of fooling around on uh instagram and i saw that jet lucas has a has an account and um he is a visual effects artist on the mandalorian hmm. but anyhow if it's not bail organa then maybe and this is just a flyer maybe it's leia but leia would only be like 15 at this point Oh, hmm. 
Yeah, probably not. This is this is big boy stuff. Right. You know, it's a like little far fetched as... because yeah. I mean she's very accomplished when we meet her at twenty, but she's still only freaking twenty. Yeah, and if they have if if Bill Organ is already in the circle, that wouldn't really make sense because you know they might task her with some stuff, but he would be their representative. Yeah, could it be Radix? You know, the guy that led the attack on Scarif. Oh, that's a good guess. Rogue One. I mean, he's naval officer, obviously, capable of commanding a, a small armada of ships. He uh, can't time an exit too well, but aside from that, he seems pretty capable. Yeah, they set it up like he was going to have some sort of future role, for sure. But then there's also, what about uh, Voss? What is it, Quinlan? Quinlan Voss. Quinlan Voss. I had it backwards. OCD. Or what's the dyslexia? Yeah. Okay. That would be kind of cool. But again, we're not, I guess we're not really expecting... That would well, throw the show off, I think, if they did that. His name is probably going to keep getting tossed around in the shadows like it was in Kenobi. I wouldn't at all be surprised if it came up here, but... But, well, the um, fact that they, they used his name in Kenobi makes me think they have a plan for they have You know, he's going to pop up somewhere. I sure hope so, because he's kind of a wild card that is all for, you know, the Jedi plan, but he doesn't really want to follow the Jedi rules <laughs> as far as I understand it. So that makes him kind of interesting as a as a potential anti-hero type character, which has been, you know, successful with Mandalorian and, and things like that. So Quinlan Voss, maybe Leia, probably not Radix, perhaps. I think it's going to be someone that we've met because it just feels like that's the right way to go for this show is to bring in someone that we've already met. Like how her husband, Mon Mothma's husband, brings up Sly Moore during the planning for the dinner. That's an existing character from Revenge of the Sith. You've seen Sly and uh, I bet <laughs> when you see that person, you try to figure out like, is that like a like a really awesome conversationalist to invite over for dinner? That that person. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was about to say too. The dinner party guest <laughs> list is is interesting. Bars, Danga, Sly Moore from the Vizier's private chamber. Is that a problem? You can't be serious. These people hate me. They spend every day trying to undo anything I've touched. Well, perhaps tomorrow they'll think twice. Talking about that husband, I think his name was Perrin, I think is what it said in the credits. That guy has left me with some question marks in terms of his ability to stick on the program here. Because I don't think he knows that she's the boss of the rebellion. Hmm. Okay. You don't think so? He, you think he just thinks she's some normal senator that doesn't like the some of the actions of the Empire? Yeah, I do. I think that's right. Man, well, he might end up six feet under or something like that. Or something, because, I mean, he's inviting over really uncomfortable people to have over because she's clearly not happy about the guest list. It's like, hmm, what are you going to do? Hmm, I could see him, like, uh, doing one of those, like, uh, last-minute bro moves and taking a shot for her and getting taken out. Right, I don't get the sense that he's necessarily a bad guy. Like the fact that he was wearing like that little like robe over other robes made it <laughs> <laughs> little little d bag vibe, if you will. Uh, yeah, sorta. Like he enjoys the the comforts of home while his wife is off earning the senator's pay. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I probably might be that guy too, but I don't know that I'd be dictating the guest list with uh, weird emperor toadies were I to be that guy. So I got my eye on him. I've got my eye on a several characters that were introduced this episode in terms of true allegiances. Mm-hmm. One such is the new ISB lieutenant, Daedra. Her last name they never mentioned, but it's Miro. 
the blonde woman who was very interested in recovering the NS9 unit that fell out of Andor's possession last week. Yes, she's on to a, a rebel pattern that she thinks represents an organized alliance. So she's on to something. Yeah. But she's getting she's getting shot down by the bureaucracy. Um, I think they did a good job of capturing the OG Imperial officer tone that we saw in the pre in the OG trilogy. Major Partagaz is that guy's name. He was good. If you uh, are looking at him wondering I, I, where I've seen that face before, it wasn't the guy who killed Rob Stark at the Red Wedding. This guy is from Game of Thrones, though. Oh, he, really? Yeah, okay. yeah. He played Kyburn. Really? The guy that brought the mountain back to life. He was, a, okay, he was a meister. Yes, and he, but he was the one that didn't have his chain, so he was sort of like a illegitimate. He got himself killed, didn't he? If I remember correctly, yeah. Uh, okay. I'm think pretty sure a lot of the <laughs> <laughs> you don't make it out alive in that one. Yeah, the the Lannister hanger ons at the end there didn't make it out alive. Yeah, he was he was a micromanager on top of everybody, man. He was calling him out. Where would you target these new resources, Supervisor Grandy? Increased surveillance, sir. Looking for what? Anti-imperial activity, as always. Are you being intentionally vague? No, sir. I'll expect specifics by the end of the day. He threw out the healthcare analogy. We mm -hmm. identified disorder and kill it, basically, you know. We are healthcare providers. We treat sickness. We identify symptoms. We locate germs, whether they arise from within or have come from the outside. The longer we wait to identify a disorder, the harder it is to treat the disease. Do you understand my meaning, Legret? What was interesting about him was he wasn't necessarily evil. He was like short, demanding, demeaning. But like where Tarkin had like this, I'm pretty sure this guy knows that he's evil. You know, he like snickers when he brushes his teeth at night about all the evil he's caused that day. Major Partagas on the other side just seemed like the way that he did end that meeting with a bit of like positive reinforcement for her made it like, well, this guy's actually maybe just a manager. <laughs> He's like a middle manager, yeah. Right, that works for the Empire. And, you know, he's a dick, sure, but he's not necessarily evil. Yeah, I like how George would talk about you. He would very intentionally set up the dark side in the Empire to be very machine-like and cold. Mm -hmm. uh, and you see that reflected in the colors, the sense of efficiency and order. Like they're swinging very far on the order scale versus chaos. And um, it's that same kind of 20th century authoritarian spirit where countries like Germany did crazy stuff all, you know, in the name of establishing what they saw as order, world order. That's the empire right there. So we're seeing George's vision repeat and be honored. Well, and the ISB itself has not, as far as I know, been fleshed out in the Disney era, maybe in the comics, but not in the movies and not in the TV shows yet until now. But it had existed in the Legends books, even though it was not covered just like explicitly. It was often described as sort of this boogeyman organization responsible for all kinds of cruel acts. And you didn't want to cross them during the heyday of the of the Empire because they could find out anything they wanted from anyone. And, you know, just a scary sounding organization, very KGB like Gestapo type. Yeah, thing. right. Now we get to see them. Did you notice the uh, report of the uh, spending building, presumably the archive on Scarif? 
I did catch that at the very end. I enjoyed that. I was double checking to make sure they weren't talking about the Death Star. They're not. They are talking about the, I'm pretty sure they are talking about the archive and that facility scene at the end of Rogue One. Interesting that they would build it and then blow it up within five years. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. They just burn money in the empire. Yeah. In that planet. Yeah. Aldani is like an Amazon distribution planet. They're saying, you know. <laughs> Aldani has the unfortunate quality of being close to nothing and not very far away from everything. It's the perfect hub for distribution. I was thinking that's kind of like Kingwood. <laughs> that's where we're from. Yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> the Laughable Forest, shout out. Oh, we could talk about Karn. Did you? I, I thought that was funny when he has to go back to mom and she was like this Italian mob wife. She's like, get in here. Oh, boy. That scene just spawned this whole backstory for Karn that I have no written justification for, but it just like the slap and the kind of the abashed look on his face, you all of a sudden get this idea that, or I did, that he is from Coruscant, wanted to join the Empire, was not accepted, or at least did not get the position that he wanted. But he did manage to get on with the Primor Corporation in security, where he tried to become ambitious and shoot his career up. But then he screws up totally. <laughs> his failure lead, led to the annex by the empire of this organization as they slowly take power. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, that was cool. And then so he has to go back home where he probably left in a huff. Like, I'm too good for this place kind of thing. And he hasn't been in touch since he left. Now he's got no place left to go. <laughs> that was the whole story that just like transplanted into my mind. <laughs> were you pretty sure that was Coruscant? Because they showed him at the spaceport and I was kind of confused because I thought when, when they were dressed down, I assumed that was Coruscant because we saw the one uh, sector lead that was in charge of them, you know, dressed him down. And then we saw a spaceport and I was like, okay, well, I guess he, he went to another planet or something like that. Or maybe it's just another town on Coruscant, if you will. I'm almost positive that part of that speech from that officer's name is Blevin, from Blevin, was that they were going to be taken from that office that they were getting dressed down to the transport center where they would be taken away to wherever they need to go, but not there anymore. Since they had already flashed up Coruscant as a named place, and since it looked very Coruscanty, like back through the windows, you could see super tall buildings. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he needed to take an elevator very far down to where sunlight barely got anymore, then that all added up in my mind to Coruscant. Like the poorer you are, the further down you live. And that just fit with this, like <laughs> the story that I concocted in my mind of Coruscant's yeah. background. They showed that in some of the newer, I, th I think it was Clone Wars. And mm -hmm. there was, I know there was a video game that had gotten canceled. Was it called something 33? And it was about those, I don't want to call them like the silos, kind of like we saw in Utapau, or like you said, the poorest folk on Coruscant would live further down. Yeah. I thought that, yeah, that would be cool if they explored that. And since they're spending time on Coruscant, eh, maybe. Maybe. Because, I mean, if we bothered to see him get the slap from mom, then I feel like we're still going to follow Cyril Karn, former deputy inspector, to see what it is that he does with his life now that he wields no more power does he feel motivated to find this and or to get his name back with the empire or what maybe he'll join the rebels as a as a spy 
maybe. He's got very broad, open face. It doesn't seem like he could uh, successfully lie, but, <laughs> but maybe because he couldn't piece together that uh, speech to motivate the troops. Who knows? Maybe that speech would have made all the difference last episode. If he would have uh, just had a better speech, they would have done a better job capturing <laughs> Andor. On the journey from Ferrix to Aldani, there's a short conversation with Luthen and Andor before Luthen gets back into character as Luthen. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they talk about Andor's history as a cook. I fought in Mimban when I was 16. Two years of it, straight out of prison into the mud. I'm one of 50 that survived. And who did it turn out we were fighting? ourselves so please you were on the ground in Mimban for six months you came in as a cook you lived because you ran are we to believe that Andor might have actually been in the army and then just went AWOL I didn't really catch too much about you know, what they were trying to say. They didn't say there. a lot because they both knew the story. So they didn't need to say a lot to us about it. Yeah. And I like how they're being vague. I mean, maybe we'll learn more later, but I thought that was cool how the Empire had had them fighting against each other, which is the Palpatine way. But another line that came out of that conversation was where Andor was like trying to figure out who Luthen was. And he's like, Alliance, Sep, Guerrilla, Partisan Front, one of them. Isn't it all the same? It is to me. Partisan Front is Saw Gerrera's organization. Oh. That's obvious. And then, the you know, obviously the alliance is the rebels. And then Sep, I kind of, I was like, was he thinking he's talking about the separatists? You know, this was past the Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, this is, is there still a separatist movement that's going against the Empire? I know they, they didn't mention, Oof. I guess like Crimson Dawn would be like Darth Maul's organization. But yeah, any idea what Sep means? Anakin killed all the leaders. Yeah. That doesn't mean, I mean, when there's a power vacuum, other people rise up to try to take what they can. There would still be some amount of war material that's useful that the Empire wouldn't want anyone else to have access to. Just coming in to the whole equation, the CIS, even though they were the bad guys in those movies, all of a sudden would be on the same side as the Rebellion. <laughs> which is the anti-Empire side. At the end of the day, the Republic turned into the Empire, not the other way around. So it makes sense that some separatists would keep on fighting, I guess. Yeah. So maybe that's what that is. Yeah. Just maybe nobody that made their way onto screen in terms of the movies, but, you know, maybe a very eagle-eyed Clone Wars watcher would be able to identify a likely general or governor or, you know, dignitary of some kind that didn't get caught in the Clone Wars cartoons that we know about might have wrestled control from whoever was left. So that's a good idea, Sep. I, I caught it, but I was like, I didn't make the connection. So good call. Thank you, sir. But the other one, no. I don't know what the, uh, the fourth one. <laughs> no guesses. Yeah, I didn't know if Gorilla... He said, I didn't even feel if you said guerrilla comma partisan front or guerrilla partisan front. It seems like it would be the same thing. The asymmetric rebels that use more aggressive tactics. When it comes to Luthen and his stake in that rebellion, I sure hope we find out what it is. Do you think it's maybe tied into that backstory and the crystal or 
some other kind of situation because he was on Coruscant when everything went down then you know maybe he had position and now he doesn't he's he's ticked off and he wants and he's also like he he's a good leader you can tell and he's like desperate to accomplish his goals and to the point where he's just trying to get the funds trying to plug people in to make this mission successful and then i i really liked that conversation with vel the leader and yeah. he was honest with her. He even said he even said she, he was paying Andor two hundred thousand. Told her pretty much everything, but then she was kind of complaining, complaining. He's like, "Look at me, you know, you wanted to lead, you wanted this gig, you yes. know, step up." I, I thought that was awesome. <laughs> that was a, I mean, that was a really like throaty, you know, guttural sounding kind of roar from a guy. Anybody would pay attention to that. <laughs> yeah, know? that was awesome. I mean, you really saw that intensity, the hatred. Totally. That he, not that's what he likes about Andor because he seems that he sees that hate and that intensity. When Andor came into the Rebel base, that one guy was like, "Yeah, you can you can feel that guy's got brass, you know, like he's a tough guy, or whatever." Mm-hmm. And then you had Mouse from the Matrix was like, "Hey, how's it going? Welcome," you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that is Mouse, but that might as well be Mouse. Yeah, it may as well be Mouse. What I thought I was like, "It's Mouse." Any feelers on on those guys in terms of uh, any of them going to survive? <laughs> <laughs> Which ones are NPCs? <laughs> yeah, I liked the heist scene. It was like an Ocean's Eleven like heist planning scene. That was fun. The charming moment about that was when Mouse, who'd obviously built the model, was like, "Here, let me take that." The glue's touchy. You know, that's the same sort of shit that I would say if I was in if I was not seen, because I would have been the one to have built the model, and then I'd know that Vel was never careful with my models and was constantly breaking them. And uh, so we go over this every night. So I, I don't have to fix it at this point. So please, just all take it. Yeah, that was hilarious. It also, it did kind of feel like a like a Clone Wars setup, you know, like when they would always be like, okay, we've got this uh, droid base. Okay, what's the game plan? Okay, you're going to go in here, you know, and they would always do those little planning scenes. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, they often yeah. had like the hologram, you know, and this yeah, exactly not so much. This was low tech. Yeah, but I have a sense that at least three of those guys are dead. Yeah, you know? for sure. Our model friend. I, yeah, he's a, a soft target. Yeah, yeah for, for being killed. <laughs> because <laughs> he because he was instantly accepting so that means he's probably toast yeah i was kind of trying to follow this astronomical event that's happening i didn't really fully catch what what it was about but supposedly it would provide him cover and andor seemed to buy into that but yeah i don't think it's going to go as planned we always know it'll never go as planned do you think that'll happen in the next episode or the third episode or the what would that be six would it be is it gonna be five or six i think they gotta ingress in five and then egress in six that's my guess look at you military expert over here people yeah i think they've got to go in get in trouble make it look like they're not going to get out and that's where next episode ends that's i mean were i the show creator that's how i would set it up Hmm, we'll see we'll see how by the script they go yeah it's going good I'm, i'm enjoying the show man yeah, me too. There's a Star Wars guy at work that is concerned that the the show is boring, and, and I commiserated with him to see what he was getting at. And like I said at the beginning of this podcast, I just, maybe I'm just too overwhelmed by the amount of Star Wars stuff that they're making for me to see and absorb, and they're not just running at this garrison. These people have been set up for a long time. It's not just throwing together a battle plan, which often is exactly how we see 
Star Wars battles work out, it is taking a more gradual, practiced, professional even, approach. And that is resulting in a, in, in a something that feels more, like we said, either in the last podcast or earlier in this podcast, just a more adult-feeling show. Yeah, and I think we saw that like with Rogue One. I mean, the Rebels are so outnumbered, they have to pick their battles very carefully. Um, and that's why they didn't want to go into Scarif until the Rogue ship brought them into it. It makes sense that they would plan like this and, and go for a big win. Do you have any sense of anybody that we've seen so far that might turn into a turncoat for us? Yeah, I don't know. I know, like I said, they're, they're going to put Karn into play somehow. I, I hope so, because I, I thought he might be the arch nemesis guy. The way that uh, Lieutenant Miro keyed in on the pattern of stuff being stolen from her made me wonder if she's noticing that stuff for the Empire or if she's noticing that stuff because she wants to make it so the Empire doesn't notice it. But she brought it up. And once I watched it on my second pass, I realized, well, she brought it up to her boss, <laughs> which which wouldn't be a great way to, to keep that covered up if she was trying to help the Alliance in any way. But I still have my eye on her. I don't know if it's just because she's nice and blonde looking. I, I don't know. But that's my long shot for, for possible turncoat at this yeah, point. Yeah, I don't think so, because I agree. I, I, I took that as she's ambitious and lots of boys in that room. You know, she had some conflict with that, that other guy, and she's trying to climb the ladder. It's harder for her, you know, in that environment. I think she's a true believer, and she wants to win points. But she did seem to have something going on with her. I see what you're saying. In the, I have one more, one last question from me, unless, and then you can have whatever uh, remaining questions you have for me. But part of Vel's talk with her guys and with Thandor, she mentioned that there's an Imperial engineer from Coruscant coming through. Is there any possibility that that's Galen or so? Is an Imperial engineer arriving from Coruscant? Oh, wow. That's a really good call, Paul. Look at you. I like that. I like that. I, did, I, I sat there and thought about that. I was like, nah, I have no idea what they're talking about. But that would be the obvious choice that we know out there in the world. We don't really know many Imperial engineers otherwise, I don't think. <laughs> well, not that have made it on screen. I mean, in the books that were Legends books, there were other people involved, obviously, than just one genius. And I've never, I haven't heard if Mads Mikkelsen is supposed to come back. That would be so cool. Right. Because we do know that he probably at this point is being shuttled around here and there and everywhere without much self-direction. The beginning of Rogue One, when he is taken from his home and Jin or so has to hide in that hole, she's like 10, give or take. Mm -hmm. and, and so this would be sometime after that when he is in their custody, but before Rogue One. So, oh, yeah, yeah, it would work. Yeah. I was wondering if they might slip in a cameo with Tarkin or even Thrawn or something like that. Isn't he, is he cast in Ahsoka, I think? I've heard rumblings. I've heard rumors that were to see Thrawn at some point in live action, but I do not know when. I could see them slipping in a few cameos like that. You know, there's Thrawn books that are in both Legends and Canon covering Thrawn's rise. And he's always been a super popular character. He's been in the Rebels, right? Mm -hmm. So we're going to see this guy but I, I don't know if this is the right show for Thrawn. Tough to say. Tough to say. We'll, but we'll put a pin in Thrawn. So if he comes up, I'll, we'll be able to say, Mark called it. <laughs> uh, yes. Give me credit. Did you have any uh, remaining questions for me? Man, I'm good. I think we covered it all. 
yeah, we'll just see if this battle takes place and where they go from here. Maybe is Andor going to buy all in or is he just in it for the money? Is he going to try to take off and get sucked back in at another time? You know, who knows? You know, a lot of money has been promised to him and it sounds like Lucen has every intention of paying him. <laughs> which you know there's there's always that doubt that this is that's a pretty hefty sum for a mercenary i think 200 whatever <laughs> 200 oh, it could be it could be connected to this financial issue that mod moth was having and luthan's like sorry bro i can't pay you and he's like well i guess i'm gonna stick around till you pay me <laughs> that could be or maybe fighting alongside vel and her team will and understanding what they're willing to sacrifice for this cause will make it bigger than money for him. As long as he can eat and have a place to live, he'll be okay. I don't know. Uh, that's what the show is for, right? Intriguing. Well, until next week, then, uh, this has been Paul with Pod Clubhouse. Uh, Mark, if people wanted to find you out on the internet, where would they do that? Jiggy Nut. And if you wanted to find me, I'm at Pod Clubhouse or at Paul V Daily on Twitter. We'll come back next week and we'll we'll talk about what will probably be the attack of the Imperial Garrison on Altani. So we'll see you then. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.